Broncos show blitz. The handoff is to Jacobs. First through the 10. Cuts up field five. Drives forward. He's in. Touchdown, Josh Jacobs. Touchdown, Raiders. He bullied his way through the end zone on an 11-yard carry. Handoff to Gordon across the 40. Down to the 35. And the ball is out. And Robertson has it in his stomach. And he's racing downfield for the Raiders. 50, 45, 40. Robertson near sideline. Cars under center, hands it off to Jacobs, first through the middle, cuts back at the five, carries the defender, touchdown Raiders! Jacobs tosses it into the stands, and he might have just sealed Las Vegas' first win of the year. You're locked in the press box. Nice, I like it, like that open. Good job there, buddy. <laughs> well, I figured TikTok uh, was super recent, so uh, they haven't... Feels like they haven't been good in about 20 years. I'll go with the oldest uh, internet meme I know of. That's a nice. That's a nice open. You like Ed, it? Ed actually really likes it. It's, I really like it's it. It's just the Rick Roll song <laughs> with the Raiders I love highlights it. over it. Got the highlights. Sp- sp- uh, splashed in those highlights with that song. It's nice. I would nice say it's, on a Monday. I would say it's the worst rejoin Jared's played in months. Oh, oh I think it's one of the give best. Me, give me time later. I got another one. I think he's one of the best. Of all of our opens, the worst song he's chosen. They don't need to say no one needs to say the press box and our names and stuff. Nobody nobody cares about that. That's not what I'm complaining about. about The song choice is worse than any of the songs he normally uses. I was trying to find something that kind of worked with the theme of what we normally play on a Monday after a Raiders game. Just give me Kesha. All right, fair enough. I'm giving you a lot the of The first bite. My bad, Ed. Nope. My it, bad. Is Josh Jacobs the Raiders' most important player? Tell you what, I think he was yesterday. Uh, career high, 144, two touchdowns, caught five passes, went on, uh, went on Josh Jacobs' back yesterday. So they are right now, I think, on pace to have the highest yards per carry that the Raiders have ever had as a franchise that probably won't keep up right they'll probably have some down weeks running the ball throughout the season uh but they've been run they've been running it well through the first three weeks they just have been behind in some games or have had some three and outs and haven't really had the ball enough to actually run games out or whatever win the game with the running game in the second half uh but yesterday they did and jacobs was phenomenal uh, even Carr had some had forty two rushing yards yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Five had carries. some big ones. Yeah, and his weren't design runs. That was no. Derek Carr scrambling mm-hmm. on a pass play, which is those are things he doesn't do. Right, we don't normally see that. But I think the the big question for me right now is the offensive line good at run blocking. I mean, I think I think through four weeks they've been much better at that than than protecting Carr and passing. And I do think the line that we saw at the end yesterday is now the offensive line. So I think Munford coming for um, Elmanor will stick, and I actually think that that's the line. So they ended the game with Colton Miller still at left tackle, Alex right. Bars at left guard, uh, Andre James Andre is back James, at center, Dylan Parham at Dylan right Parham guard, and Thun- Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford. I think Munford that's the over. line going forward. Uh, that's. The most successful the team has looked offensively all season, and that's the line that was out there. So mm-hmm. I would guess so too. Like 
it would be kind of dumb if they changed the offensive line going into next week, unless there's an injury, obviously. Did you think McDaniels, when he was asked about that after the game, he kind of said the competition's still open? Uh, did I you, mean, did you think that was just him? I think that was just him that? saying that. I think that it was just him saying that for guys that aren't starting to hear that and to think that there's still chances. But I'm telling you, I think that the line that ended yesterday is their line going forward. So they've been bad as a pass blocking unit this season. Um, and my question of, are they a good run blocking team? If they are, then this team should be a run heavy offense, right? If they're going to have yeah. that success running the ball, that's what they should be. Despite investing money in your quarterback, your wide receivers and your tight end. If you I mean, do what you're good at, right? If your offensive line is going to be bad pass blocking, and here's the thing yesterday, they were still pretty bad pass blocking, right? Like it wasn't like that was a great pass blocking game from the Raiders. If you're going to be bad as a pass blocking unit, if we're going to look at the end of the year and say, ah, they're 28th best pass blocking unit or whatever it's going to be. But if they're like the 12th best run blocking unit, that's what they be should who rely you are. on. Right now. There's going to be games where they get down. Well, or there's going you're going to have to pass right where they run into a great uh, rush defense and you've got to throw the ball. And listen, they have Adams Renfro, Waller and Carr. They should be able to throw the ball, but for the most part, that should sort of be the game plan. Mm -hmm. And McDaniel said afterwards, that was the game plan. They wanted to run. Yeah, they wanted to run. They wanted a physical game. Over and over and over. So maybe that's the path to victory, is the offensive line might be a good run-blocking offensive line. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then that should be the focus of the offense. Now, on our first bite question, is Josh Jacobs the most important Raider? He had 28 carries yesterday, 144 yards. Do the Raiders lose that game? If Jacobs has 23 carries and five of those carries go to Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, or Brandon Bolden. I don't know. Zamir White had a nice on the final on the final drive. He had he a did. nice run. He had a 20 something yard run to get it down to the seven for Jacobs to take it in. Because here's, here's my, I guess, concern. If that's the game plan, it shouldn't be all Josh Jacobs. If the game plan is we want to run it and run them down, where the other uh, team down, it shouldn't be 28 carries for Josh Jacobs. They should be using the other running backs more because what's going to happen is Josh Jacobs is not going to make it through the full season. Josh Jacobs has been hurt throughout his entire career. He's played through a lot of injuries, but we don't see workhorse running backs in the NFL very often. And the reason is guys get hurt. And so if your plan is we're going to wear the other team down, yeah, Josh Jacobs, if you're successful, can have 20-something carries but you should be splitting up some of that. Zamir White should get five or six. Brandon Bolden should get a couple. Maybe even Amir Abdullah gets a couple, right? I think they need, if that's the game plan going forward, it shouldn't be where we walk out and Josh Jacobs has like 95% of the running back carries. There should be a little bit more of a split because Jacobs will not make it through the season. If your plan is to give him 20-plus carries a game, he will not make it through the season. I think he could have low 20s. Yeah. I mean, if they if they I are get have low twenties and still be okay. If they're as successful as they were yesterday, they're going to run it thirty something times a game, right? They're going to have games where they aren't as successful and they only run the ball twenty times as a team because they you know have some three and outs and they've got to throw it a lot. But what they did yesterday, Jacobs getting twenty carries would have been is fine. But I I think they need to break it up more. I don't think you're gonna if you and here's the other thing that I thought was interesting. Josh McDaniel said yesterday that. Josh Jacobs is one of the best runners he's ever been around. Which, by the way, they didn't pick up his fifth-year No, they didn't option. pick up his fifth-year option. Okay. But says he's That's one of fine. the best runners he's ever been around. 
it's more important to have that guy available in weeks 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 than it is to load him up with 27, 28 carries in weeks four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So if I'm the Raiders and that's my game plan going forward, I need to lessen Josh Jacobs' workload. I just think they thought they saw how well he was going yesterday and they needed a win. So they just kind of wrote him out. I mean, they desperately needed a win and they looked at him and thought and saw how good he was, how well he was doing. But going forward, I agree with you that, you know, he has been hurt in his career and it's only going to be what week five. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of football being left to play. Right. And he, I mean, again, he's played through a lot of it, but Jacobs has shown over the years as every running back in the NFL, pretty much you're going to get hurt at this position. Derrick Henry was supposed to be the outlier. He got hurt last year. Jonathan Taylor hasn't had an injury. I don't think in his career, guess what? He got hurt yesterday, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is, this is what happens to the position. You're going to get hurt playing that position. And the more you give the guy the ball, the more chances he has to get hurt. It just beats down on your body. Now, the other side of the ball. Did you think the Raiders' defense played well? I think they played well for the most part, although I think Russell had his way sometimes in the set against the secondary. Um, I thought they put ample pressure on him. I thought Max Crosby played well yet again. Um, they come up with a big turnover in the in the Meek Robertson return, so those, those kind of plays you can't count on, so that was a huge play. Um, but I thought Russell also kind of had his way sometimes with the secondary. I felt like watching the game, the Raiders offense was excellent. Or, excuse me, defense was excellent. But then you look, the Broncos scored their season high in points. That's not the best if you're the Raiders. Um, And Russell Wilson, when you look at his numbers, was actually solid in that game, right? Like, he was 11 of 12 at one point. And you look back and you're like, okay, it felt like a good defensive performance, but the numbers aren't that great. For the Raiders, I still think ultimately was good. And I think the biggest the biggest key is that, well, the two biggest keys, one was the touchdown, obviously. Anytime you get a defensive touchdown, your odds to win shoot up to like 75, 80%. Right. And, but then that third quarter into the fourth quarter stretch where Denver had like seven yards of offense over the course of like four drives, they that's, that's where the Raiders kind of won this game. Because if Denver moves the ball and puts some points up there in the third and fourth quarter... Denver might actually win the game in the fourth quarter, but they didn't really have a legitimate shot to win it in the fourth quarter because the defense didn't allow anything for, I think it was four straight drives. They had less than 20 yards. That's phenomenal from a Raiders defense who were not really expecting to be a shutdown defense for a quarter and a half, but they did that yesterday. So I thought even though the points were kind of high, it was still a very good performance. My other question for you, how bad are the Broncos? They're bad. They're not great. Like, They're not great. I felt like I was watching an awful football team. Yeah. yeah. Like, just horrible. Even on the plays where, like, Russell Wilson did stuff, he would run out the back of the pocket like he did when he was a rookie. Like, I'm still watching him, a grown man, make the same mistakes. And it's like, oh, oh, Russ, you're you're not as fast as you used to be. And he's was the least of their worries yesterday. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. How many did they commit? It? So, couldn't run the ball at all. No. They pitched the ball to Amik Robertson. They couldn't run it at all. They, their best rusher yesterday was Russell Wilson, scrambling. Um, Melvin Gordon fumbled on his first right. touch. His first, his first touch of the <laughs> and game. It popped up to Amik Robertson. He, he got hit in the back and went, whoopa. Yeah. <laughs> they were 3 of 11 on third downs. Uh, they allowed three sacks. Remember, the Raiders came in with two sacks all season long. 
Uh, I thought they had more. They only had seven penalties for 50 yards. But I think the reason I thought they had more is what? Six of those came before the snap? Like six of those were not like, oh, you were... Illegal shift. uh, False starts. False starts. All of it. Like... And you, it's one thing to like get called for, you know, holding or pass interference when you're just trying to stop a, an opponent from beating you, right? It's another thing when you just jump off sides or you commit a false start or you're in, in an illegal formation like six times in a game. Like that just feels like a terrible football team. And they're, listen, they're two and two. They're still ahead of the Raiders in the standings. Are they winning nine games? No. I can't imagine I that can't team imagine. wins nine games. I think they might. <laughs> you do? They were they were so bad, and it wasn't until like the third quarter where right. it was like, oh, okay, these are finally starting to cost Still 25-23 with, yeah. with 11 minutes or when I, no, seven minutes when the Raiders went on the final touchdown drive because they took right. five minutes and they, they, they went to the two-minute warning. And I think the Raiders had two third-down conversions on that yes. drive. And like... Uh, you get with the if the Broncos get one stop on one of those third downs, they get downs, the ball back. They get the ball back down by one score, and Russell Wilson has a chance to win it. That just, fe- but it just feels like an awful team. Just, they they look terrible. Somehow they're probably going to end up being like close in every game they play. They they do have a pretty good defense. Somehow they're going to end up being close in every game they play, and they'll probably squeeze out a few close wins. But that just that team seems bad. Like that, like I'm just like Nathaniel Hackett. That guy's. He, there's something wrong there. He's just not a head coach. You got to fire that guy four weeks in. Four Even weeks in. Two and two. Get rid of him. Like, that's just, it's just not good at all. All right. Coming up next, we'll stick with the NFL because um, concussions. Yeah. Not great. We talked a little bit about the game. I, I kind of was asking him questions about how he was feeling. Um, and that happened for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then he pulled out a, his phone and started uh, playing uh, my cult favorite classic movie, MacGruber, that he watched and was like laughing with me. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Should I have ever seen the movie MacGruber? Yes. Never saw it. So that's a no. Uh, uh, it involves a guy blowing up all his friends and they're going, no, 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 no. Unrelated to to his concussion, are they really watching movies on a phone? On a Mike team Mc- plane? Mike McDaniel just said Tua pulled out his phone and yeah, started watching plane? a movie. That's that's all they got is a phone. Yeah, I don't know how fancy. There's a lot of guys on that plane. I don't know. But but where? Bring a laptop or a tablet, something bigger than a phone. Uh-huh. Bring your own device that. that's bigger yeah. than a phone. Could take one of those tablets from the sideline. Yeah, I was going to say, how does, <laughs> how does Microsoft Surface not the official screen or the screen yeah. of flights? You'd probably have to on knowing the NFL. If you use anything else, you'd be fined. Yeah, breaking out your phone? That's ridiculous. Um, so maybe the biggest news story of the weekend revolving around Tua and his concussion. Uh, and there were a lot of details that came out this weekend. But the independent neurotrauma consultant... That cleared Tua in week three. So this is not Thursday night football. This is week three, the last Sunday that the uh, Dolphins played. He was fired. Uh, the NFL PA was investigating it, and he was fired. Apparently, he made multiple mistakes in the clearance process for Tua on or last Sunday 
to allow him back into the game after he had stumbled. How is that possible? How does a guy whose job, who's a neurotrauma consultant, not know essentially how to diagnose or to test for a concussion? I, I don't, this is, this is very strange that someone like that would make multiple mistakes in trying to diagnose what he had. I mean, did Tua just say, hey, my back hurts to try to get back in the game? And the guy said, hey, okay, it must be your back. So basically this, this is called into question the entire process because we also saw last night in the Sunday night game, Cameron Brait, Buccaneers tight end, uh, he ran into his own teammate on a play and immediately... Um, Chris Collinsworth in the booth was like, oh, that doesn't look good. Like immediately the booth called out that they probably need to get him off and get him to the concussion spotter. Cameron Brake came back in the game one play later. And then eventually, I think it was during halftime, got ruled out of the game for a concussion. So you have this whole idea of like concussion spotters and what guys look like and, you know, these supposed signs right, that, right. that a guy might have suffered a concussion. And last night, the television announcer sitting in the press box realized in real time, oh, Cameron Brait might need to come out of the game. Right. But the Buccaneers and whoever the camera or the camera, the concussion spotter, didn't realize it until later in the game. You combine that. So that's one element of what's supposed to happen when a guy potentially suffers a concussion. And then once they actually go into that process, what the hell happened with Tua? that this guy messed up multiple times. He didn't do multiple things that he was supposed to do to clear Tua. Like what exactly is the process here and why is nobody following it? Well, there's gotta be right. There's I I know uh, Denzel Perryman went in the tent yesterday uh, and came out and they had his helmet. So you knew what it was. He did not play again. Good job. He he went to the (laughs) locker room. Good job, everybody. Uh, Good job by the Raiders (laughs) or whoever their independent neurosurgeon was. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how he screwed this up so badly with Tua. I don't understand how you could make that many mistakes if that's your job to see the signs or to go through the protocol, to ask the questions. I'm not going to pretend I'm a doctor. Right. Uh, we might've been able to do just as good a job though, <laughs> um, as this guy who got fired. So I, I don't know how he screwed up so badly. It's a mystery. So let me ask you if you agree with this. This is, uh, this is a tweet from Mike Florio who said, the NFL Players Association wants to get away from the checklist approach to letting a player return to action. So basically, hey, can you do these five things or whatever it is? If you can check all these boxes, you can go back in. The union believes it should be about doctors treating players as patients and putting their best interest as human beings above their desire to play football. So should there be a less rigid checklist option and a more flexible, hey, what would a doctor well, actually advise the player? I mean, why can't it be both? Why can't you have a person who's either a doctor or one of these new surgeons who supposedly are an expert in their fields do the checklist? Well, if I mean, you, and treat them like Tua should have been treated like a patient. Well, here's the thing. if you, I think if you have the checklist... And if a player checks all the boxes, but the doctor is like, I still don't think you should play, the player's going back in the game. If if you have a checklist and the player knows they've checked every well, box. Well, that's wrong, then. I think I'd adhere to the doctor. If he if the doctor still says he might have done it, but I see other signs or I believe he has a concussion, right. then I think you listen to the doctor. So then you just throw the checklist away. Because all you, all you need to do is just listen to the doctor. Uh, I don't. 
Come on, Ed. If we've learned anything over the last two or two and a half years, what the player needs to do is his own research <laughs> rather <laughs> than listen to the his doc. Own checklist. He needs to get on Facebook and learn as much as he can about concussions yeah. and not listen to doctors. But here's here I think is the actual issue with let's have doctors treat football players as patients. Is there any doctor that would advise a player go back into a football game after suffering any injury, not just concussions, but any injury? Is there a doctor in the country that would advise a player to go back into a game with any injury? That's a really, really good point. If we, if we were treating football players like regular people, regular patients, every single player on the injury report would miss the game. Because if you have any injury, concussion or physical, right? A doctor is going to tell me and you, hey, take it easy for a while. Don't do anything physically strenuous. That doesn't work in football. You can't tell football players, hey, uh, you need to take off two weeks because, yeah, you broke a finger. You need to rest up before so your finger gets better. They're just, no, they're going to say tape mm-hmm. it up and I'm going to play through it. I mean, to even like go a step for, further, what doctor would be like, Ed, we're going to give you a shot of Toradol. We know you need to do the press box in the morning. Like, it sounds it sounds nice to say, hey, let's treat football players as patients. But the sport doesn't exist if we do that. Because I'll take it away from injured players. Is there a doctor on the planet that would say, hey, you should go play the sport of football? It's a brutal game that we have. It's absolutely brutal. It's not good for you. It's terrible for your body. So if we were treating football players like regular people, like regular patients at a doctor's office, nobody would be playing this game anymore. So you think the five do you think the protocols the way to go? If we're going to play football, you can't you can't also have doctors treating these guys like they're normal humans, like they're normal patients because the sport doesn't exist anymore. Cuz no nobody's coming back into a game. Nobody is coming back into it. Right. Game. So then you think the protocol is okay. So if you're going to have the NFL and you're going to say, hey, we are going to play football, then you have to have sort of a baseline version. Five yeah. points you, of checking yeah. him to see if he's okay. Right. You, you have to have something that's not actually acceptable in the real world when you go to a doctor's office. Because otherwise, nobody's playing this sport. Not a single person is coming back into a game if we start treating them like regular people. Because if you hurt anything, you can't. Well, there are doctors. I'm sure there are doctors also who said you can play, but this is the this is the additional damage you can well, can hear if you play. Right. If you're like a defensive lineman and you break your finger, right? They right. could say you can play through it. You'll tape it up, and then you'll be like, "Ah, oh, we'll get it fixed at the end of the year." But a normal human, you would be like, "Oh, we need this to heal as soon as possible." Right. You're not going to walk around for four months with a broken finger. That sounds moronic, but in football, we're okay with that because what's important? Playing the football games, right? Doctors, that's not how doctors, no doctor would be like, hey, yeah, uh, just suck it up for four months. But he would say you could play through it. Well, yeah, they would say, whatever, you broke your finger, nothing else is going to happen to it. But that's not, they wouldn't say that to me and you. They wouldn't say, hey, yeah, just well, we're not going to take care of it for four months. The way we months. type on these laptops, well, we got to get that thing taken <laughs> care of right away. The only time I've ever had a doctor do that is, uh, oddly enough, it was a football injury, but I kept getting my toes broken, 
And he was just like, you kept getting your toes broken? I was next to a tackle who didn't know his left from his right. And so he'd step <laughs> that on my... That sounds like a problem for an offensive lineman. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, so he'd step on my foot and he weighed quite a bit more than I did. And then he would twist, realizing, no, the play's going the other direction. <laughs> but anyway, basically, I went to the doctor and it's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're broken toes. I could put them in like a splint, but it's a broken toe. So you You're going to have weird toes. He said you can keep playing. Well, yeah, but he also, it wasn't even a football thing. It was a, what do you want me to do about broken toes? I can't put a toe in a cast. They're very small. Yes. Very small toes. All right, coming up next, we will talk to Nick Raboni of UNLV Hockey as they kick off the home uh, portion of their schedule at the Dollar Loan Center on Friday. Snap is down. Kick is away. The kick is up. And it hit the crossbar and and bounced bounced out. It hit the... Upright, and then the crossbar and bounced short for the love of good gosh. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from UNLV Hockey is Nick Raboni. They played their first home game of the season on October 7th out at the Dollar Loan Center. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Um, before we get to the upcoming schedule for you guys, I did want to ask you because we've been talking about um, Tua, the NFL, and their concussion protocol. You guys are, are club hockey, obviously not the resources that the NFL has, but I'm just curious on your team, like, what do you guys do if there's a suspected concussion? Or how do you guys even tell if there's a potential concussion for one of the players on the ice? Well, we're, we're really lucky. We, we have a great medical staff and um, one of the local doctors in town. She, um, she fully funds us with our trainers and helps us out through that. So we always have a trainer at practice, and then she's actually at our home games as well. So between the, you know, the two or three trainers and her, they do a really good job of spotting things because you know, hockey players tend to be a little tougher and they want to get back in the game, and they, um, you know, sometimes they're not always going to be honest with what's going on. So they, they, there's different things that they'll see, whether it be, um, you know, how they're skating and talking and there's concussion protocol that we have all of our guys go through. There's concussion testing that we do at the beginning of the year. So we have a, we have a great staff and you know, it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing that happens. Has this been an issue at all? Have you had many kids go down with concussions? We have, unfortunately. I mean, we had one player that, um, you know, after his first game last year with the program, he uh, he actually had to retire from hockey. So it's, um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to decide if it's the right time to do it. And a lot of our guys play junior hockey for three years prior to coming to college. So they have a lot of games under their belt. Nick Raboni with us from UNLV Hockey. All right, you guys played um, this weekend. You guys went to and played Denver, who is the Division One champions not the club level but the division one champions so you guys lost to nothing but what was your biggest takeaway what do you think your team uh gained from that game well five on five we we actually only lost the game four nothing so i mean when you look at that and you take that away they have i think seven nhl draft picks and um you know they got a great team i mean there's a reason why they're the defending national champions and why they're probably one of the favorites to win it again this year I think it was just a good experience for our guys to, to kind of see what the next level really looks like, um, you know, and I think we really did compete hard. I'm not really into moral victories either, but at the same time, you have to have realistic expectations. Um, we were fortunate enough to actually get a game on Sunday versus the number one team in our league, and we wound up winning 5-2. to two. So, 
Um, overall, good weekend. Um, would like to have seen the Denver game be a little closer on the scoreboard, but when you take the little things away from it, and I think the five-on-five stuff is what, what we'll really focus on. Nick, what has changed since this all began? Um, how much better are you guys? Uh, I've talked to you over the years about when it first started, uh, what your goals were in terms of club and moving up and all that and the money involved. So what, what are your big takeaways since UNLV actually began this process? I would say the biggest thing is just change, how we've changed the culture from it being what, you know, a quote-unquote club team to where you know, we're recruiting high-level athletes to come here and play college hockey. Um, you know, four or five years ago, we'd, you'd never look at a, a division one transfer would never look at UNLV. And now, you know, we have three of them on our team this year and, you know, more that are reaching out. Um, so I think that that just goes to show that, you know, we, we want to continue to push the, the boundaries with this program. And, you know, College Hockey Inc. is, is a big company um, throughout the United States that looks at feasibility for programs. And they, you know, they recently recently reached out and offered to sponsor a feasibility study for us for free. And that's about a fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 deal. So we're hoping that, um, you know, Eric takes that in consideration and at least lets us get that going. What does that feasibility study do? Like how would that help you once that feasibility study comes back? It would, uh, I think it, the, with the feasibility study, it basically shows that college hockey would work at that university financially. Um, you know, and that's everything from Title IX to, you know, travel to budget to it, they take everything into consideration. So um, when you look at that, I mean, in all reality, that's that's a huge thing. Your sport has to make money. Is that would that I guess for us, if we're looking at things for that are like black and white on the feasibility study, would that like come back with a number and be like, hey, this is the amount of money you need to make this work? Or is it more? you know, generalized than just that black and white number? I think it's a bit more generalized than that. It would talk about, you know, what, how, what the cost would be to raise the program and elevate the program, but it would also probably give you realistic expectation of how much that program would be bringing in financially for UNLV athletics. Um, and when you look at our program now and how well we've drawn recently and the exposure that we give the university, I think that, um, you know, it would be something you'd want to probably at least take a look at. How have people responded to you locally with sponsorships and other people trying to make this happen for you besides just getting the Eric and the university to, to step forward? We have a really good booster club. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm really proud of that we've kind of put together over the last few years with some very influential people within the community. And we're always looking to grow that. Um, we're, we, you know, with our sponsorship sales now, I think it's upwards of thirty to forty, fifty thousand dollars right now of what we're able to bring in to help the program. Um, so that's a big step in the right direction for us, and we're constantly trying to grow that. Um, but you know, the, the leadership core that we have um, in that booster club is doing an unbelievable job trying to get new people and fresh faces in there. So that way, we're not going to the same people every time when we're looking at financial needs. Nick Raboni with us from UNLV Hockey. So the home opener for you guys is on Friday. You guys are playing Utah, and it's at the Dollar Loan Center, the brand-new Dollar Loan Center. What does it mean for the program to be able to play at the Dollar Loan Center? Unbelievable experience. It's a great venue. If you haven't been there before, it is perfect for college hockey and hockey in general. 5,000-seat arena um, right in the heart of Henderson there. So we're excited to get on the ice there, play Utah. And, um, you know, not only are we playing them on – on Friday night, we're also playing them Saturday night at Lifeguard Arena. So, you know, to be able to push our brand in Henderson and have this home means Henderson weekend, um, you know, it, it's going to be perfect for exposure for people that normally don't get a chance to travel over to, 
City National and Summerlin. You said you played a team in your league, so what's your outlook? What kind of team do you have this year? We like our team. We like it a lot. Um, you know, we, like you said, Sunday night we uh, we played the team that bounced us from from the national championship game last year, um, and uh, you know I thought we took care of business pretty well yesterday. And um, you know we returned eighty percent of our roster that won twenty seven games last year. So you you couple that with a with a great recruiting class. So on paper um, we're exactly where we want to be, and I think that moving forward we're we're going to have a very very competitive team again. You guys go to Alaska in a couple of weeks. What's the travel schedule? How do you actually get to Anchorage? So we'll fly into Seattle from Vegas, and then um, we'll go Seattle right to Anchorage. And they got a great program, too. I, I mean, even though this is their first year back, they, they just beat Western Michigan, who's ranked 14th in the country. Um, so, you know, we're going to have a, a tough task there. But I think all the Division One games really put us ahead of everybody in our league in terms of the competition. You know, our guys talked about it after playing Denver. It was like playing slow motion on Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see how we do in Alaska. And then they come back and play us on uh, November 16th at, at the Dollar Loan Center, which will be the first NCAA Division I game with UNLV in Las Vegas ever. How long is that flight from Seattle to Anchorage? <sighs> Three hours. Oh, not that, oh, bad. Not that bad. I was not thinking it was going to be much worse. I thought that not was going to be much worse. All right. Uh, shouldn't be too bad. He is Nick no. Ravoni from UNLV Hockey. And again, their season over, their home opener is on Friday at the Dollar Loan Center where they take on Utah. Nick, thank you so much Thanks, for joining Nick. us. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, so there is Nick Ravoni. So UNLV hockey starting their season this weekend and then first home game on Friday. The Dollar it's tough to get to Division One. We talked about that before with Arizona State and how much it cost and Justin Emerson yeah. leading the way. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Why hasn't why haven't they called Justin Emerson? Justin Emerson should go over to UNLV and say, listen, I've done this before. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I Let got me get to this. the AD. I got this. I'm curious, this feasibility study. Like, what is that going I'm to give them credit for getting it for free? Well, yes. <laughs> like, I, what is that? Like, that's going to come back and they're going to have, they're going to have like a number for what it's going to take to fund the program. So I'm curious what that is, but I'm also curious how, I guess, profitable can, can UNLV hockey be for UNLV, mm -hmm. the athletic department? Because anybody who doesn't know, it's a club hockey program. They're not actually a part of the athletic department. They're not actually funded by UNLV Athletics. They just have the ability to use UNLV's logo and name. Right. It's not a Division I NCAA uh, program that UNLV has here. That's what they're trying to get to. Right. Arizona State did that. There's not a lot of teams here in the West that play Division I hockey. Uh, but I'm curious what that says in terms of, hey, it would cost this much to get the program running, but then... You this would, much to keep it running. This much to keep it running, and then you would gain or you would earn this much money each year or right. whatever that number, whatever that would be. I'm curious to see what that says because I think if you get back somewhat of a favorable report from that feasibility study, uh, obviously you take that Derek Harper, the athletic director, but you say, hey, this is this is what this could look like in the future. How do we make this happen? Like yeah. it, that's a relatively official report and not just, you know, Hey, we need this much money to make right. something happen. All right, coming up next, we'll stick with the NFL. Dro drops back, throws it towards the end zone. It is intercepted in the end zone. Picked off in the end zone. Jordan Poyer stepped in front of that pass. Picked off in the end zone by the Bills veteran safety, Jordan Poyer. John, were you trying to let them score at the end to get the ball back? Uh, if you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Uh, do you want to talk about pooping or analytics? Oh, DK Metcalf. All right. Much um, more interesting. DK Metcalf 
got carted off the field yesterday during the Seahawks game. Not because he was injured, though, but because he had to go to the bathroom. Hey, all right. What are you going to do? So, well, we know what he's going to do. <laughs> all right. Uh, first question. Do we think he was so close to pooping his pants that he was worried if he actually walked or ran himself, he yes. would poop his pants on the way? Waddled. <laughs> he called for the cart for that reason. Um, okay. Cause that was my thought. I was like, Oh, he's worried that if he gets a little bit of motion going on, it's, it's, he's not making it. Yeah. He's not making it. Now I will say this. I'm guessing they have a change of all clothes for players that even if that did happen, he could change clothes. Uh, (laughs) Uniforms. Yeah. yeah. Sure. He could put on new, whatever shorts he's got on underneath and his pants. Uh, but that was my first thought. Um, also, do you believe if you're getting carted to the locker room, you should be just to go to the bathroom. You should be required to tell like the sideline reporter, Hey, I'm just going to take a dump required because here, here's what happened, right? DK Metcalf carted the locker room. Everybody's like DK Metcalf carted the locker room. Yeah. He might be hurt. What, What's wrong? What happened? Right. Strain an ankle. And then, you know, five to 10 minutes later, we get the update. Ah, I just had to go to the bathroom, but I feel like you should be required to say that when, when you, you come go. back, when you come back on. No, no, no. When you go. Oh, you stop the right. cart. If you're getting say, don't carted, worry, I'm I will okay. be back. Yes. I'll be back. That way nobody is worried that like you tore your ACL Depending or something. Depending on what I ate, I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should be required to say. I, it's like when you were in school and you had to raise your hand and ask you had to for go to the bathroom. You know, a little bathroom pass. Like I'm perfectly fine with them. Go go to the bathroom, absolutely, but you just gotta let us know. Because otherwise, we're going to assume the worst because you're getting carted Fantasy off the field. Fantasy players, man. Right. You're getting carted <laughs> off the field. Meanwhile, people with DK Metcalf are like, oh, God. You're, you're getting like 16 updates on your phone because DK Metcalf is going to the bathroom. But you don't know he's going to the bathroom. You think he might actually be hurt. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, thoroughly enjoy when athletes going to the bathroom becomes a major story. Uh, Lamar did it. Was that two years ago now? Yes. That it happened to Lamar? That was fun. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy when players just, they have to go to the bathroom very, very badly. Um, and that's what DK Metcalf had to do, but also good job by getting the cart to come get you. How do you think that conversation went by the way? Get over here now. But who do you tell if you're a player? Trainers? I guess you go, you find the trainer and you're like, Hey, I, I gotta to go. I gotta go. Where's the, can, Where's the can cart? we get the cart over here? Cause like, we, listen, when guys get hurt on the field and they stop the game, it takes some time for the cart to actually get out there. True. So how long was DK on the sideline being like, oh, this cart better hurry up. I cannot move. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's, listen, it's not like it's a taxi and it's just on the sideline and you go grab it. No, you it have to say, bring it go. in from underneath. Right. So how long did DK have to wait before the cart came out there? Maybe he could have just waddled his way there by the time the cart got there. <laughs> Someone put down there that uh, the in that stadium, the distance to the bathroom is one of the longest in the NFL. Oh, brutal. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's now it's making sense where he may have gone, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to just go. And they're like, wait, wait, we already got the cart out here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make this quick. So it was, it was in Detroit. So we're we're saying that the bathroom is so what, far someone, away. Someone tweeted the bathroom is very far away. Okay, in Detroit. do we think the DK Metcalf knew that, and that's why he called the cart? 
that like if this was in Seattle, he would have been like, ah, the bathroom's the second door on the left. Once I get down the tunnel, I'll be in and out. But he knew, oh, Detroit, I got to walk like two miles to get to this bathroom. They better cart me there. Or he mentioned it and someone went, do you know where the bathroom is? And he went, no. And then it's like, we better get the cart. (laughs) Is there somebody on staff responsible for knowing where the closest bathroom is to the sideline? On a visiting team, I'm not so sure. I feel on the like, home team, I feel like they better. Well, know. everybody probably knows themselves for the home team, right? You probably yeah. know where the bathroom, know where the bathroom is. is. But on a visiting team, they know where the know locker that. room is. I think you should know where's the closest. Bathroom. I feel like that has to be some low level quality controls game day. <laughs> like you're in charge of making sure that it's this type of Gatorade for this for this player, this type of Gatorade for this, and you need to know where every bathroom is within <laughs> the facility at all times. You're also in charge of getting the pregame meal. What do you think the number of players is that have gone into the blue tent on the sideline just to pee? We know of, who did. I can't remember who we know that did that. Don't we know that someone did, did that? Did somebody like say, yeah, I, I, I peed in the I blue thought tent? It, I thought it was somebody was suspected of doing that. I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Google for the morning. Just like, because here's it. Oh, uh, AJ Brown is the answer. Oh, see? Um, It's just like, if you've only got a P, I feel like you should be able to use the blue medical tent to to your advantage, right? Like, yeah, you just, it's a little bit of privacy. You can pee into something that's not a toilet, and then that low-level staff, low-level staffer that has to know where the bathroom is has to deal with whatever you peed in. Uh, but obviously, if you if you got to poop, oh man, do we have the Joe Buck tougher. sound? What's the Joe Buck of Lamar? No, of Joe Buck describing the time he called a touchdown pass while peeing in a trash can in the booth. In the yes, booth. In the booth. Oh boy, I got it. We don't have it. I, I must have pulled it off the internet. <laughs> Man, if you're the play-by-play announcer. They apparently had to kick everyone out of the room, so it was just him and Troy Aikman. <laughs> and he called the touchdown. And he called the touchdown? <laughs> While peeing in a That's a pro. Can. That's how a pro good, right How there. good are their microphones? Because wouldn't you feel like you'd hear that? Um, I mean, based on doing radio where I'm 100% solid. sure a guy went to the bathroom during a live show, yeah, you, someone probably suspected I don't know. There are a lot of people in the TV booths for NFL games, so maybe they oh, would. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. there, there's a stats guy that's right there pointing at stuff. There's and, a spotter. Right. So I'm, maybe you wouldn't hear it on the mic because you never hear those guys, and they're right there. They've got to be right. moving around. They've got to, we hit our damn mics like six times a show. There's got to well, be stuff that gets knocked over all the I time. I hit it a long time. Hear. I get the looks from Jerry. Well, it's, it's your hat half the time. You look down and the bill of your hat just <laughs> right into the right every time. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, get the get the card out.